if you do commit to going global, it is a commitment. You need to be all in. Um, kind of dipping your tone to the global marketplace is not something that I've seen work very well with a number of businesses. You know, the, the businesses like SiteMinder and a bunch of other uh, companies from this part of the world that are doing well overseas have really gone all in overseas. Hey folks, it's Cynthia Deren here. Welcome to Business Beyond Borders, where I unlock the secrets of international business success. Today, I'm talking to Di Williams, Chief Growth Officer at SiteMinder. SiteMinder is the global hotel industry's leading guest acquisition platform. Basically, it helps hotels to get clients. Now, the company's story began inside a rental home on the northern beaches of Sydney. Its founders, Mike Rogers and Mike Ford, weren't hoteliers, but in just over 10 years, SiteMinder has successfully scaled its presence to six offices around the world with 800 people. SiteMinder works with more than 35,000 hotels across 160 countries to generate in excess of 87 million reservations each year. And that's worth a total of more than US $28 billion or $38 billion in Australian money uh, for hotels around the world. Dai has been with the company for a decade and he's played a big part in its journey. Dai, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Cynthia. Great to be here. Now, today we are talking about SiteMinder and you're the Chief Growth Officer at SiteMinder. Can we go back to the beginning of the story? Because as I understand it, the company started out in a rented house on Sydney's northern beaches. Can you just fill in that backstory for me a little bit? Yeah, sure. So someone as founders, um, Mike Ford and Mike Rogers, uh, used to work together at a medtech business in Sydney. And on the side, Mike Ford, who is the, the, the founder and really got the, you know, the commercial side of the business up and running, uh, rented a house up in up in the northern beaches, and and whilst uh, they were working together, he had shares in a in a backpacker hostel up in Collaroy. Um, and as, as part of the operation of the hostel, online travel started to become um, and managing online travel started to become an issue for the hostel. So this was when consumers went from you know the predominant way of booking hotels being phone calls and emails and faxes to starting to be more comfortable in, in transacting online. And the, the hostel really struggled uh, managing websites like whatif.com and Expedia and booking.com. So uh, the guys uh, built uh, a, a product, they, they took it to market and they started life on the Northern beaches. Uh, so that, that's kind of the, the SiteMinder origin story. And, you know, we'll, we'll run through a bunch of it, uh, of the, the kind of growth, but uh, it, we, we have our origins up, up near Manly Way. And when did you get involved? How, how long after that start in the house did you show up? Yes, I probably joined SiteMinder once it had been going for about 18 months. A uh, bit of my personal story. I, I came out to Australia to play a summer of crickets and I've never left. I think that's a fairly well-trodden path for people who come out here and enjoy it. And when I, when I joined the business, there were, were a handful of folks. Um, you know, the, the team had, had done a great job in building out a, a strong product that had a really good market fit in Australia, and we we're really about expanding into the Australian, you know, hotel and accommodation 
provider industry. Um, and that was, that was 10 and a half years ago now. So it's been, been quite a journey since then. And things are a little bit different these days, aren't they? Because you work with more than 35,000 hotels. You work across 160 countries. Uh, you generate more than 87 million reservations each year, which are worth over US $28 billion. And you've got six offices and 800 people. So that's, uh, that's quite a different picture, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's certainly a long way from the... Uh, you know, the early offices, which tend to be dark and dingy on, you know, the less glamorous, glamorous streets in, in the CBD, as, as a lot of startup people can, can recognize. But it, it's, it's been a really, really fun ride. You know, we'll, um, we'll, we'll talk through some of the, the nuance in, in going global, but it is a truly global business now. So we've, we've got to shy of 800 folks around the world. We've got offices everywhere. We've got, um, customers in about 160 countries, I, I think is the, the latest count. And so it's, it's a real Australian success story. It's, it's certainly come with its, with its late nights and it's plenty of time spent flying around the world. But you know, it, it, it's been an amazing ride to go from a, a really small Australian provider to uh, globally the world's biggest in, in what we do. What were those early days like? Just tell me a little bit about that experience of you know, being in a startup and, and, and struggling to really get up and, and get to where you are now. What was it like? Yeah, it's very exciting. Uh, you, you, you have two types of days when, when businesses are that size. You have great days and terrible days, and there's not a huge amount in between. Uh, but it, it's just very exciting. And one of the things when you, you know, you're, you're growing at, at that size and that, sorry, that, size and that, and that scale is that you really feel every win and you feel every loss um as, as you grow and, and that's from both you know people customers that you're bringing on customers that you lose people that you bring on people that you lose and it, it's a very uh, personal and intimate experience when when they're really small businesses like that um you know as as businesses grow um and, and to where we are now it, you you just deal with different uh, different types of issues you know we uh at some we spend a lot of time talking about things like like culture uh, we, we're big on helping set our people up to be as successful as they can be. Um, so it, it's been quite interesting being part of the business that has moved from uh, kind of semi-hand-to-mouth survival and, and really kind of pushing for every win to a business that is now, you know, used by, by 35,000 hotels all around the world and, and you know, generates, you said, just shy of 30 billion US every year in, in revenue for hotels. So it's, a, it, it's been really fun going on that journey um, both from a, a market perspective and seeing how our, our business has matured and also internally and, you know, seeing uh, people and, and how the business matures and grows over time to sustain the growth. You've been pretty central to what has been a pretty meteoric rise in the company's growth. Uh, and now you're the chief growth officer. So what does the chief growth officer actually do? Yeah, interesting question. I, I have to explain this one a couple of times a week. Um, so look, I think the first thing to say in businesses like ours, growth is actually not a function, growth is a mindset. So mm -hmm. every function in SiteMinder thinks, thinks about growth in some way, shape or form. The, the role of the chief growth officer is, is quite a new role that's, that's starting to crop up in, in uh, particularly technology companies. And you kind of sit in, uh, if you can imagine the Venn diagram of kind of product, um, go to market and strategy, we kind of sit in the middle of that. And um, what myself and my team do is, is we spend a lot of time 
thinking through uh, and incubating new revenue line items that are going to be really important to SiteMinder in 18 to 36 months. So, so we, we've got a bunch of new products on the go that, that we'll take from incubation, we'll get them up and running, we'll get them living and breathing, and then uh, the bigger business will kind of absorb them. We, we incubate our big growth markets, so markets that are going to be you know, really important for SiteMinder's growth in 18 to 36 months. Uh, we do a lot of that quite you know, hands-on uh, into the customer funnel and, and the customer value prop. I think in, in small businesses, um, growth is, uh, this type of role is actually carried by a bunch of people. You know, the founder uh, in a lot of businesses carries a lot of the stuff and there'll probably be one or two other execs who are very heavily involved with these functions. And then as the business gets bigger and you get bigger scale and you get more functional expertise, it's, it's quite a nice role because you kind of get given this, the, the space to think and breathe about what's coming around the corner. Mm -hmm. SiteMinder started, uh, as we were discussing a moment ago, on Sydney's northern beaches, and it's now a global company. What was the catalyst for taking the company global? Was there some specific event or some decision point, or was this just something that was woven into SiteMinder's design from its inception? Yeah, look, I think in by designing software as a service uh, platforms and businesses, you have the ability to go global from the start, just for, um, by the way they are actually built and designed. Mm -hmm. uh, however, in, in the very early stages of, of the business, you, you focus on two things. One is survival <laughs> and yeah. kind of getting, getting month to month and, and then quarter to quarter and then year to year. Um, but probably the bigger one is, you know, proving that uh, you, you have a theory and a thesis that the problem you're going to solve and the way you're going to solve it is going to resonate with the people who you want to use your product. Yeah. Um, and as you, in your home market, you, you kind of start to get those indications that, hey, the value prop of the product that we're bringing to market is actually really good. And once you've got those kind of proof points and you're starting to grow in your home market, you then start to think about, hey, what does the next phase of our life look? You know, we've got a sustaining business that, that's generating enough for us to, to kind of keep going the value props um, working, you then start to look at going, hey, like what type of business are we? Are we an enterprise software company? Are we a, a white space business? How big is our local market? There are a couple of kind of, um, a couple of, kind of inputs in, into how you think. One of the things for, for SiteMinder is our market is hotels. Um, and the vast majority of hotels in the world don't uh, live or are not built in Australia and New Zealand. So for us, with our ambitions, we actually have to think about going overseas quite early on so we could ex uh, extend our total addressable market. And kind of some interesting kind of early anecdotes of, of how that happened. Um, we, the, the first country we expanded into noticeably outside of Australia and New Zealand was the UK, which I think is a fairly well-trodden path for Australian businesses to go to the US or the UK. Uh, there, there was a, a lovely couple who ran uh, the Bath Guest House Association and they had been on holiday in New Zealand and they stumbled across a SiteMinder client in New Zealand. When they got back to Bath, they got in touch with us about um, using SiteMinder software in uh, the Bath Guest House Association businesses in, uh, in Bath. And that was kind of our, our early expansion in there and we, we kind of ran with it. And I think, I think about 60 or 70% of 
um, small business, small accommodation providers in Bath will use our software as a kind of nice anecdote. But it it, it definitely wasn't there from the start, but it, it came along fairly quickly after as we looked to kind of really expand and grow a meaningful business. So it sounds as though in the early days, the international expansion was a little bit random. You know, there was a bit of serendipity in there. I'm imagining that these days, when you look at which markets to go to, it's a lot more structured. Can you just talk me through how you go about choosing markets and whether you think there's a right way of, of doing that process? Yeah, so there definitely is. Um, and and I, can, I can talk from a lot of experience here in the digital world. I'm probably not as well qualified to talk about some, some other space, but in, in the digital world, there's... There's some wonderful resources available when it comes to uh, a looking at how much activity there is on Google and search engines in your category. And then secondly, how much brand recognition you already have. So one of the things that, that we will look for in the space is, you know, there are, there are a handful of key problem statements that, that our kind of platform solves. And we'll look in these markets as to um, which countries are actually searching for the problem. Right, because it's one thing going into a new country and having to build out your own brand. It's actually quite a different exercise if you have to create a category. And what I mean by that is if you're going into a market, you actually have to make the market before you can make your product relevant. It's, it's not that it's something you wouldn't do. You've just got to be aware that it's going to be potentially a bit of a slower burn because you've got to do a, a, a lot more seeding activity before your product can become relevant. So. So what, I, what we do and what I would advise businesses to do about when and where you're looking to go is have a look at um, countries where the category A exists and B, you might have somewhat of a bit of a, a brand recognition already. You know, software as a service businesses tend to get, um, you know, it, it's fairly easy for, for that uh, global expansion to happen without having to put big infrastructure in place to do it. So that is, um, there was a bit of serendipitous about um, about our expansion to the UK, but since then we, we've been much more structured about how we've gone around it and looked at that kind of category and brand process. We've just been talking about looking at markets and choosing markets to go to. Uh, what about this question around when companies should go global? So do you remember a few weeks ago, you and I were on a panel together and, and this discussion came up on the panel uh, and we contrasted the traditional view of going global or international expansion, which is that you should exhaust your home market first before you look offshore, or at the very least, you should get a significant level of market penetration at home before you go looking elsewhere. What happened on that panel discussion that we're on though, is that there were some opposing views discussed. And it seems as though there's some evidence that for some companies, specifically in the tech sector, an early expansion might actually lead to better results than, till, than, than waiting until your company is mature at home. What do you think of that? I mean, what's your experience been um, in, that, in that area with that trade-off between getting mature and then expanding or expanding first and then maturing? Yeah, I, I don't think there's, there, there isn't a, a clean and cut answer for this one, unfortunately. I think what, one thing I would say is that, you know, going global is not for everyone. Um, it, it really depends on on the ambitions of the business and, and what the business wants wants to achieve, um, and then you you kind of layer in the the segments, the products, the competitive land land 
escape, the white space, that kind of stuff, which I'll come to in a second. But, you know, at a very high level, if you do commit to going global, it is a commitment. You need to be all in. Um, kind of dipping your tone to the global marketplace is uh, not something that um, I've seen work very well with a number of businesses. You know, the, the businesses like SiteMinder and a bunch of other uh, companies from this part of the world that are doing well overseas have really gone all in overseas. You know, they've, they've got their early proof points and they've, they've, put, they, they've put the foot down. On, on the point of when to go, um, you know, there are a couple of things that, that I would think about really come into that thinking and you know, a, a couple of things this is just um, just the, the kind of day-to-day -day business of what type of business what type of vertical and sector do you operate in when you go into these markets are you operating in an enterprise environment are you operating in a white space environment you know if you if you operate uh, an enterprise software company your your product has to be at a certain level of hygiene because you're going to be going in and ripping, replacing from uh, from a local incumbent. So therefore, you actually have have had to have had enough time to build up enough product and go to market maturity to go in and be competitive with a local enterprise company. On the other side, if if you're going after more white space markets, your product needs to be uh, just good enough to be bought by the majority of people, and then you get a lot of uh, leverage from going global because you start to get pretty amazing economies of scale, you start to get much more flexibility in your product and you start to build up a, a, a much richer and better product for your customer base because you're coming at it from stuff like global scalability and um, you know, you, you've got the economics that will sustain um, doing some quite big pieces of work that the companies that stay local in the region will probably struggle to justify. So I don't think there's a right answer. It, it really depends on who you're going after uh, and, and for you to be relevant in the local competitive set when that point comes. Yeah. How, uh, how important do you think total addressable market is as a factor in, in considering whether you should expand offshore? So, uh, you know, for, for people who book travel and book accommodation online, we don't usually think about the technology that's enabling the process. But of course, that's exactly what SiteMinder is doing. And, you know, with more and more people traveling and needing somewhere to stay, there's a real opportunity for the company to expand even further. Can you just give me a, a sense of your, your total addressable market and, you know, why that's important for you and why that's important for other companies that are looking to go offshore? Yeah, it's probably, you know, in speaking to um, a, bunch of, uh, a bunch of founders around this part of the world, it's probably one space that, that I think founders can be, um, a little bit light on is their ability to clearly articulate what the addressable market is around the world. Um, and, you know, you know it, it, if you struggle to articulate that and struggle to get your head around it, the, the simple question that you need to ask, like, how big is the prize? What are you shooting for? Because if you don't know what that addressable market is, it's very hard to say this is what we're shooting for. And you're just going to make some, some very compromised decisions about what your growth profile looks like. So at SiteMinder, we spend a lot of time thinking about um, building models and looking at our addressable market. And we, we get very granular on how we think about addressable market and how we look at addressable market around the world. Because from that, we can start to make much more educated decisions about where we, where we put our investment when it comes to things like R&D and go-to-market um, dollars and, and where our capacity and where our energy goes. Without knowing that, you kind of don't 
know what the end goal is. So knowing what the addressable market is, is actually paramount for making the right decisions about expansion. And you know, I'll talk about in a site-minded context, we've got an enormous addressable market, right? There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hotels around the world, and we're at 35,000 today. So for SiteMinder, that's a very important thing for us to know because for us, we want to keep building great products that bring, uh, that bring and keep hotels using our platform. We're not overly thinking about diversifying into, you know, into parallel industries or anything like that. We're, we're very focused on providing um, amazing acquisition software to hotels all around the world. If we didn't know that, we potentially would start looking at parallel industries, for example. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really... Uh a really insightful comment and that is an approach that I completely agree with. I, I wish there were more companies doing their international expansion the way that you're doing it. On that note, um, there haven't been that many technology companies from Australia that have scaled as quickly and as broadly overseas as SiteMinder has. Why do you think there aren't more local technology businesses going global? Yeah, I think um, a very interesting question. I think there are uh, there are more starting to do it as we speak. So you, there's obviously um, some some great stories from this part of the world. You know, there's there's the, the Atlassian folks. There's us at Sideminder. There's Canva. There's Zero. So you know, there are definitely some businesses who are starting to do great things, scaling from from this part of the world. Um, I mean, a, a couple of things that jump off the page for me is, is why this hasn't uh, it isn't as big as as it could be today. Scaled funding for businesses in Australia is relatively new for, for, for tech businesses. You know, when you, you look at, uh, when you look at, you know, investment, um, investment blogs and investment, um, you know, email blasts, hardly a day goes by where a business in the U.S. doesn't raise, you know, a couple of hundred million dollars to continue their expansion. If, if, if a tech business in this part of the world raises 30 to $50 million, uh, you're getting fairly close to being on the, the front page of the Fin Review. Um, so I think that scaled funding is slowly starting to come in. And where that really lands operationally in, in businesses like SiteMinder is when you expand early and expand early in your kind of revenue growth, the business actually inherits quite a lot of operational overhead because you have to have things like an office. Like I'll talk about our London experience, right? We needed an office. You need a, um, a an office leader. So you have all those kind of a GNA type costs that are not generating a huge amount of revenue and, and they don't get diluted as heavily as if uh, you were an American business that's built up a huge book of um, existing revenue. So as that scale funding starts to flow through and the investors in this part of the world are starting to see the results, the positive results from going global, I think you'll see, see a little bit more from that. So that's more from a, a kind of funding and structure perspective from a people side. Um, you know, when you are growing out these businesses, you, you, you need a mixture of um, what I call, you need a mixture of athletes and pattern recognition people. So really what that means is you need a mixture of people that are, are multi-skilled, mo- motivated, roll up their sleeves and do a huge amount of work. And you need to have um, sitting around them, people that have been there and done this before and can kind of put up the guardrails and, and make sure the athletes kind of don't go too far off piece. Um, in this part of the world, there are actually just a not, there are not that many people that have done this, to be, to be quite honest, right? There's, there, there are not that many people in this part of the world that have taken 
uh, Australian and New Zealand based tech companies and expanded globally successfully. So the pool of patent recognition people in this part of the world is, is not huge. Once again, that is starting to change. You know, we, we're seeing some amazing success stories starting to come out and businesses starting to scale. Um, and a lot of that expansion DNA is starting to come back in. And there's some, you know, some very good VCs who, who work on that knowledge transfer between the businesses that have done it, sharing it with the businesses that want to do it. You know, we, we're quite involved with, with some of the local VCs on the ground here and helping founders think through the, these kind of, kind of scaling issues. Um, so I, I guess the, um, the kind of final wraparound from that, uh, uh, from a, if I was a founder going, what's the so what of this is, is really think about how you can either get on board or get access to people that have done this stuff before, you know, where say whether that's uh, hiring someone in or whether that's gaining a mentor through your investors who can do this very well uh, from an introductory perspective. I think that's a great point. Thinking about other key levers that you might need to pull to accelerate growth and to support going global, what do you think those are? We've talked about athletes, we've talked about pattern recognition people, we've talked about the need for scaled funding, but what else do you need to do to, to make sure that you can actually grow fast enough and go global fast enough to succeed? Yeah, the, the, the first point here is not very sexy. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's, it's a word that a lot of startups try and push to the side when they're growing up, which is process and metrics um you know a, a lot of a, a lot of growing businesses tend to operate on gut feel and intuition which is fine which is fine when everyone's in the room so you know we've got this concept of sightminder where you know when when everyone's in the room it's easy to do but when everyone's out of the room you actually need different processes and metrics and structures so one of the key the key thing that i i would push for and that i wish i'd done earlier in this process but i'm happy we're good at now is have a very well-defined go-to-market uh, process, structure, and metrics. And, and what that does is it allows you to really be able to diagnose what's happening in your businesses overseas without letting emotion get in the way of conversation because it allows you to look at various parts of your acquisition funnel or your customer churn and what's really driving your business. And you can do that from here and you can overlay that with feedback from the regions which will hopefully add color to the story that you're seeing, not contradict the story. Without this, it gets very challenging to get a, a good finger on the pulse as to what's happening overseas. It become, become very challenging. You, you then kind of led into that need strong product and market feedback loops because, you know, we're here in Sydney um, and, and from a sideminder context, you know, our, big growth you know we, we still grow nice in this part of the world but our big growth is everywhere else our big growth is southeast asia our big growth is europe our big growth is is the americas it's very hard for us in sydney to really keep our finger on the pulse from a product and market feedback perspective so building good uh, feedback loops that come back into the business at various various layers here in sydney has been really important for for us to to kind of scale up that growth quite quickly I want to go back to something that you talked about a couple of minutes ago uh, and you said that you had opened SiteMinder's first global office in London and I understand that since then you've actually been involved in setting up quite a few of SiteMinder's offices overseas, including most recently the office in Galway Island. Can you just tell me a bit about the uh, experiences that you've had as you've set up and any uh, 
key things that you wish you hadn't done or piece of, pieces of advice for people who are going through that process of setting up offshore at the moment? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to the Galway experience because it, it was actually a, a really uh, great experience and I'll, I'll talk through um, kind of what went well and, and then I'll kind of uh, talk through some of the others and, and what I'd wish I'd learned earlier. So we, we opened a, a second European office location in Galway about three years ago now. Um, Galway is a, a, a great town on the west coast of Ireland. Um, so the, the process was actually uh, fantastic to go through. So we, we reached out to the, the local government agency that dealt with uh, inbound enterprise. So in Ireland, it's called the IDA, which is the Irish Development Authority Agency, I'm not quite sure, IDA. Um, but most countries around the world have a function quite similar to this, which is they are looking for foreign companies to come in and set up uh, offices in their country. So uh, we reached out to the IDA and we had a fantastic experience. And what the IDA did was that they spent time trying to understand um, the type of people we wanted to hire, um, the, the type of skills we were after and that kind of stuff. And then they, they actually drove us literally around Ireland looking at the various places where we could operate within Ireland. So we, we flew into Dublin, they picked us up there, they drove us to Dublin, we went to Cork, we went up to Galway, um, and we, we had a really good look around. And they facilitated some fantastic on the ground interactions with, um, with local businesses, um, with people that do real estate, with, um, with recruiters. So we got a really strong sense about each of these markets and, and they helped facilitate that whole learning process for us. And, you know, going into it, we had um, definitely there was some personal bias about where our office should be. Um, and through the IDA, we actually had our eyes open to, to Galway and it's been uh, great for us. We, we've got great access to some super talented people out there, which is, which has been awesome. So once we, we kind of made the decision on Galway, we worked very closely with the IDA on a, on a launch plan. You know, when, you, when you're launching a, a new business into a, a new city, the biggest challenge you're going to come across is access to talent because you've got no employee brand like you do in your own market. So we did a bunch of stuff with, with the IDA. Uh, we, we did a big press conference. It was probably one of the more surreal days in my, my tenure as a site miner. We did a press conference uh, in the room. We had, at that stage, we had three people who worked for SiteMinder. It was myself. Uh, our, our GM on the ground and our HR lead. Uh, we had six ex-mayors of Galway and the current mayor of Galway. We had the Irish Minister for Jobs. We were the second main story on the national news. So it was, uh, it, it was a, it, it was just a, a peculiar and wonderful day all at the same time. But it 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 did a, a great amount for our brand, and we were actually able to hire uh, we, we 100 people in three months. Um, speaking five different languages in Galway. So it, it worked really well and, and we worked really well with the IDA. So the IDA really helped us get up and running and, and kind of get set up and, and kind of, you know, put, put the car to, to second gear. But then to take the car through the gears, you need to operate with um, people on the ground, um, both that you bring into lead and then that you bring in to kind of infuse the DNA from the other officers. So uh, we, we've hired a very talented um, office lead on the ground, a, a GM over there. Um, now, to get him in, we actually went to agency. Um, and, you know, I, I know a lot of um, founders really don't like the concept of, of, of using agencies because they are expensive. But, you know, the, the cost of getting that role wrong is much more than the cost of what you're going to pay at agency fees. So 
I would encourage you not not to scrimp on on the kind of really senior roles in those regional offices. And then the other kind of tactical thing we do is we would we would um, second or you know be it for three three months, six months, uh, twelve months, we second people from our other offices, from London, from Sydney, from Galway, uh, sorry, from Dallas into Galway. And they would do two things. They would obviously uh, assist with the transfer of knowledge and ramp of the individuals. And then they do a lot on, on the kind of infusion of the site-minded culture into the new location. Are you uh, operating anywhere that's non-English speaking at the moment or are all your offices in English speaking countries? No, we've got an office in, uh, in Bangkok in Thailand. Um, so we've got uh, 35 or 40 folks in, in, in that part of the world. Um, and yeah, it's, you, you know, it, it's been an interesting and quite enriching experience for us to kind of add that, um, that, that cultural side that, that uh, particularly uh, our, our folks in Bangkok bring to, to Sidewinder as a business. You're mixing people from a bunch of different places, even though a lot of them, or, or maybe even all of them speak English. What kind of language and cultural challenges has the team had to grapple with as you've expanded and what kind of strategies have you drawn on to make things a bit easier? Yeah, so I think there's, there are, there are a couple of answers. There's a, um, there's an internal view and then there's a kind of product and go to market view. I think from an internal view, a, a big learning is that, you know, many cultures um, or cultures don't deal with, uh, you know, kind of, structural things like motivation feedback the same so how you give constructive feedback to a staff member in Bangkok is actually quite different to how you give structured feedback to a staff member in London which is quite different again to Galway and Dallas and so on and so forth and what people's motivations are tend to change a little bit by by geography and culture and well so I think what we what we've tried to do there is kind of um, at a high level is to keep SiteMinder's general culture, but allow each region to operate their own, um, within their own kind of cultural nuances uh, and what makes that part of the world tick, but try and kind of keep it within, within the, the, the SiteMinder, uh, the, the broad SiteMinder bubble. Um, I, I guess an interesting one that, you know, a big personal learning that, that I've had is, um, you know, we are all, um, we are products of our experiences and you know everyone's got their own bias on situations and views and I think a really personally interesting challenging um, component of this that I've had to deal with is learning to park your own personal bias uh, around situations and and really listening to people and and understanding uh, where, where feedback's coming from so that's from an from an internal side uh, from a from a product and go to market side the you know, going global does add a huge amount of complexity. Um, you know, from a product side, you obviously need to localize um, the, the applications in, in, you know, in the site context, the hotel application that they log into and, and they look at and they operate in is in Spanish, it is in French, it is in Thai, it is in Bahasa. Um, and, and that actually just adds a lot of operating complexity because every time you do a new product release, it, it goes out in multiple languages and you have to have lead time so translators can get in there and it needs to be reviewed, uh, that kind of stuff. You also, from a product perspective, you need to be locally compliant in all these countries. So, you know, many uh, many products need a compliance element and, um, you know, we've 
we've definitely found finding out what the compliance is, is a challenge, let alone building it. Uh, so we work quite closely in, in various countries with some local consultants that help us get that feedback about what is required. Um, and then from getting, go to market. Sorry. Getting that wrong can have some, getting your compliance wrong can have some pretty catastrophic consequences, can't it? Yeah, you just, you just can't. <laughs> it's probably the, the, the better way of saying it. You know, you, um, you need to be very sure that you're not putting your hotels in a situation or your customers in a situation where they are uh, falling outside of, of, of local compliance. And, you know, just, I mean, just, um, and then just from a, from a pure site miner perspective, it, it's pretty tough to, to sell a product if the competitive set's compliant and you're not. Yeah. So it tends to be, it tends to be table stakes in a lot of these countries. And then from, from a go to market perspective, you know, we, um, we market in local language, we sell in local language, we provide all of our customer support in local language. Our documentation is mostly in local language. There, there are a few places that, that need to be shored up, but it, it, just adds, it just adds multiple layers of complexity in, into the operation um, by, by bringing this in. Um, but if you are going to expand and be serious about going into countries, you kind of have to, you don't really have a choice. If you had to point to the single biggest challenge that you've faced as you've gone global or the, the hardest thing that you've had to deal with, what do you think it would be? I think there's an element, particularly in the early days of just trying to figure it out whilst you're doing it. You know, um, one of, one of re reflecting on the time, probably my, my, my favorite phrase for the early years at Simonder when we're expanding was, you know, every box has got a plan until they get hit in the face. Um, and, and for us, it's, you know, it's really about, it's figuring out what, what the signals are that uh, are helping you win or meaning you lose and either leaning, leaning into them more heavily and, and fixing them while you were, um, fixing them while you're going. I was, you know, chatting to someone about this. It's kind of like you, you're looking to add more wheels to the bus while the bus is going quite quickly downhill and, and it can be quite challenging. Um, <laughs> so that's probably, probably one in hindsight is just, just that you know, she's just figuring it out whilst going 100 miles an hour. On the flip side, what's been the proudest moment for you on the SiteMinder journey so far? I think, I think, from a personal side, I take a huge amount of uh, pride in the fact that most SiteMinder offices you go to around the world feel a lot like SiteMinder. So you'll walk in there, and even though you're in in Bangkok or London or Galway or Dallas, uh, you know, you, you you feel like you're in a SiteMinder business, and that there's a lot of heavy lifting that goes in, into that. So I think we're really proud of that. I think just from a, a pure uh, business side, I think one, one thing that we, we're really proud of is when our non-ANZ revenue was overtaken by the rest of the world revenue. Uh, that happened some while ago. I mean, for, for reference, ANZ contributes a little less than 20% of our overall revenue. So the vast majority of what we do comes from overseas. But, you know, those are those small moments along the way when all the kind of um, you know the late nights and the the, the long flights, etc., start to uh, start to kind of pay off. And if you had to give a piece of advice for people listening to the show who are in business and who are thinking about whether they should try their hand at going global, what would you say? Yeah, I'd say um, a few. I'd say one is. You know, acknowledging that it's a marathon and not a sprint is very important. I think in um, in startup businesses, uh, there's almost a heroic martyrdom in working 24 hours a day, and 
you know, when, when you are building businesses and, and um, going global, you really have to uh, acknowledge and, and appreciate that there are some problems that actually can wait till tomorrow. And you, you, you do need to have some resemblance of balance uh, between your personal life and your, your work life so that you can be more effective at what you do. Um, and then for, for people that are, ex that are actually going through the expansion process right now, something that, that I wish I'd done more of when we were on the process through is when you're going on these, on these big growth spurts and you're expanding internationally, you're dealing with problems and sometimes you feel like you're the only person in the world that's ever dealt with that problem. And there are people out there that have dealt with that as well. And whether that's a functional issue, you know, how do I structure marketing attribution? or whether it's a people issue or, or whether it's a, you know, an org design, anything like that. There are people that have um, dealt with these problems before and taking time out of the business to seek guidance on this kind of, um, on these kind of issues is actually really important because it can help you make a leap forward rather than feeling like you need to, to kind of inch the ball down the field the whole time. And then the, the final one that, I think all startup businesses are bad at and get better at is learning how to say no. Um, I, I remember when, when we were scaling up, you know, some of our early investors and, and early mentors I had would keep coming back to about wanting to know what we weren't doing as much as what we were. And, and that, that can be a real challenge for a growing business because everything has merit, everything has business value. Um, but the ability to say no is, is actually quite a big, quite a big skill. That's some great advice. Di, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show today. Uh, thanks for coming along. If you're enjoying the Business Beyond Borders podcast and you're thinking about expanding your company internationally, check out the Deeran and Associates website, deeranassociates.com. Our consulting services, which include market research and modeling, cross-cultural consulting and strategic business connections, deliver deep insights and create value for larger companies looking to scale internationally. If you're from a smaller organization that wants to expand its global footprint, take a look at our International Business Accelerator Program, which my team and I created to help micro to medium-sized businesses to speed up and de-risk the process of going global. The program helps business owners to build a great strategy without having to reinvent the wheel. It creates the momentum to put the strategy into play and it helps them to generate or raise the funds that they need to get an international expansion off the ground. We built it especially for founders and CEOs who want to take their business to the next level and wondering where to start. It's structured in a way that's simple to follow. It's digital so that you can take part from anywhere in the world. It's a lot of fun and our members love it. Check it out at dearandassociates.com.